I hope as we've been going through these weeks, as we've been going through uh, the Word, that you have uh, that you've been actually in these books and spending some time in them, because that's that's part of it's part of why we do it that way. Uh, would you stand with me though, and let's read some passages from chapters three and four of Colossians. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity that's in your word. And Father, I know that sometimes when it enters, uh, when it enters our distorted atmosphere, that it gets twisted by the time it goes from our heart to our brain and back and forth. But Lord, I pray that you'd untangle that today and that, uh, that the path would be straight, and that the clarity of your word would pierce our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's start out uh, with this. Intuition, your intuition is useless. Uh, your, your, uh, your instincts, your intuitions... By, by and large, when it comes to leading a Christian life, it is useless. We think, you know, we get saved and we, we come to the Lord and now we're saved and this is great. Um, eternal life, I'm going to heaven, God's with me, I'm, God's on my side. And, but then we kind of think, now, now I know what to do. All I got to do is just be a good person and live a good life. And, uh, and yeah, that would, that would work. You just don't know how to do it. Is what it is what is what the issue is. We think we know how to do it. There is a way that seems right to a person, but the end of that way leads to destruction. And I'll just give you one example. Uh, there are many, but uh, but but I'll give you one. Over in uh, Matthew five, Jesus said, "You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'll tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you." Now, before Jesus said that, you knew that, right? No, you didn't know that at all. That is as counterintuitive as it gets. Uh, I love my enemies. Uh, pray for those who, and you, know, and you know what? You go, okay, well, Jesus has said it. I know it now. Yeah, but we don't do it most of the time. Uh, it's the only thing I'm going to say about this. Um, during the, the presidency of, of President Obama, occasionally I would hear 
Christians say, yeah, I'm praying for my president. I'm praying that, that he'll die and another will take his place. And, and it made me embarrassed to be a Christian. I mean, I just went, that, that is so wrong. Now, we got a new president coming in January. And if anybody prays that for him, that's also going to embarrass me to be a Christian. Because that is so wrong. Uh, even, if, even if you consider that person to be your enemy, Jesus said love them. Even if you consider their policies and the things that they do to be things that persecute you, Jesus said pray for them, and he didn't say pray for them to die. Uh, so, but our but our instincts and our and our intuition goes. No, that's just wrong. We got we got to fight against that. You don't fight hatred with hatred. You fight it with love. It, it, it's it's counterintuitive. Now, the reason why I'm going into that is we're going to talk about Christian relationships today, and we're and a lot of things that Jesus has to say about Christian relationships are Paul in this case, both inspired of the Holy Spirit, uh, are counterintuitive. In our lives, uh, let's let's jump right into it. To uh, you guys' favorite one, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. I was asked this last week. You know, Margaret and I took a vacation back in uh, back in October, and uh, and it was a big deal. It was a big one. We we went to Ireland. It was our 40th anniversary, and we you know it, it was it was great. And I was uh, I was asked by somebody this last week, and I can't remember who it was, but. Somebody said, how do you guys decide where to go? I mean, you know, when you go on a, a, a big trip like that, I mean, how do y'all make, uh, you know, I mean, is it like you, you choose one year and then she chooses the next year? And, 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 I, and I went, no, we decide. You know, there are just so many great places to go. I, I go, would you want to go there? And, and she'll either say yes or no. And, uh, and I got more than one idea. Uh, when, when, when it gets right down to it, and she'll sometimes, you know, have an idea, and I'll go, well, yeah, it sounds good, or, you know, we just, we just decide. However, things, there are other things that have come up in our marriage that aren't quite as easy as deciding where to go on a vacation. So, some things have come up that, that are, that are, that are kind of hard to decide, and there has to be a decision maker, there has to be a decision maker because otherwise if it's, okay, you got that, now I get this, now you get that one, and I get this one, uh, you can't love each other. Because the Bible says that love does not keep a record of wrongs. And, you know, and if it's, well, you got that one, I'm keeping a record. I'm keeping score. Love doesn't keep score. So, you know, if that's if that's the way you're going to do it, then you got uh, uh, love has been eliminated. From the get-go. There has to be a decision maker. And it's a husband. Because God said so. He may be a blockhead. In fact, at times he's going to be a blockhead. But, you know, God didn't say, except for the times he's a blockhead. It, it, now, there are some caveats to this. Uh, this only extends as far as what is fitting in the Lord. This only extends as uh, unto the Lord. Uh, sometimes he may be more than a blockhead. 
there, there may be something that just absolutely runs contrary to what God has said. Well, we've all got to obey God before we obey anybody else. That's, that's the way that that is. Now, that doesn't mean that if he wants to buy a red car and God has told you to buy a blue car, that you have the right to then go, we ain't buying that car. No, that, that's not, that doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. You, 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 go ahead, you go ahead and go with him. But, you know, if it's something that's truly, truly wrong, truly immoral, and, and also if, if, we'll do, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, two wonderful things will happen. Uh, first of all, the, that guy that you initially married, the confidence that you saw in him, the strength that you saw in him will, will continue to be there, will continue to grow. If you, if you battle him about everything, then you guys are either going to fight all the time or he's going to turn into somebody you can't respect and love anymore. The other thing is God will cover his stupidity with grace. He absolutely will. He, he, can, make, he can make a dumb decision that God will pour more grace into than he'll pour into your good decision because you were obedient. Now, one other thing, and this is, this is kind of for, this doesn't mean that women are weaker than men. When it says submit to, when I was, when I was young and didn't know anything, I, I thought, well, of course women are weaker. I mean, uh, duh. You know, I mean, if, if, I, if we got a 50-pound sack of something, Margaret isn't going to pick that thing up. She's weak. You know, I, I can pick that thing up, Yeah. Uh, but as I've gotten a little older, I've discovered that that is the least way of measuring strength. The absolute least way there is to measure strength. Uh, most men would not be able to submit and remain strong. Women can do that. And, and, and gals, we need strong women. We absolutely do. Now, there's a difference between being strong and being a bully. We don't need bully women or men. But we need strong women, and you can be strong. So anyway, uh, secondly, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Um, loving is harder than submitting. We went on a, a tour once, and boy, was it easy. All we had to do was just get on that bus, eat that food, cut that line, Go see that thing, you know, get back on the bus. We had no decisions to make. All we had to do was submit to what they told us to do, and, and it was so relaxing. It was, it, was, it was so good. Now, Margaret and I, usually when we go on a trip, we don't go on uh, tours. We get a car, and we go, okay, where are we going today, and where are we going to stay, and how are we going to do this? And that's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, too. <clears throat> okay, uh, Leading, loving is, is harder than submitting. Loving requires you to lay down your life for somebody. Many men have made it very difficult for women to fulfill their role. The onus is on the leader. And, and here's what happens. You end up in relationships and she goes, he, she goes, well, I can't submit to him because he doesn't love me. Well, I don't love her because she's a rebellious woman. She won't submit to me. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about you. All you can control is what you do. 
and, and, how, and, how you, and how you move, and the onus is on the leader. The onus is on the one in charge to do it right, first of all. And so, husbands, lay down your lives. <clears throat> you know, I've done a lot of weddings, and, I, and it's been years since I've uh, actually had to hold a book and go, what is this, what, what's next? Uh, because I've done a lot of weddings. And the intentions and the vows that people take, uh, you know, we, we tend to think, okay, well, someone commits adultery. They've broken their wedding vows. And yes, they have broken their wedding vows. But you know what? That's not the only vow they took. They also took vows to love. They also took vows. He, if, if I'm doing it, he's going to take a vow to lay down his life. For her, they, 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 they took vows to, to, to bless one another. If Margaret and I disagree about where to go on vacation, or if the solution's simple, I go where she wants to go. Because it's not something that's, that's going to be... It's not something that's going to destroy us or hurt us or be something uh, wrong for our family. Now, you know, if she wants to go to Mosul or, or uh, some war zone or something, I might have to put my foot down and say no. But she's not that kind of She doesn't even like to camp out. You know, she's not, she's not, that, kind of, not that kind of woman. Uh, it's very simple. Do what she wants to do. Now, yes, dear, is often the right answer. It's not always the right answer. Because you're charged with protecting and you're charged with covering. But if those aren't issues, you lay down your life. Uh, I remember years and years ago, Bruce Coble saying to his youth leaders, I've discovered that when, when I do what is best for Jill and for Matt and for Sandy, they had a foster daughter who was living with them at the time. When I do what's best for them, things go well. When I start doing what's best for Bruce, things begin to fall apart. So anyway, husbands and wives, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, we make the mistake of basing our actions and our decisions on what others do. Uh, we're really supposed to base them on what God has done. And on, and on who he is. Uh, now, I know we don't have a lot of, of children in here, so I, I guess I'll... Uh, yeah, we got a few. I'll go ahead. Let, let, me, let, me, let me just say, first of all, to the parents, children and adolescents are two different things. And sometimes parents don't understand that. So, sometimes, sometimes they've got their 18-year-old and they're still thinking of them as an 8-year-old. And... You're not a very wise parent if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thinking that way. Uh, however, parents, your parents are always your parents. Always your parents. They may not be cool. They're still your parents. Now, they're also smarter than you think they are, but they may not be cool. And in fact, cool parents aren't always good parents. You know, cool mom... Cool mom, uh, she's, she's very likely trying to make up for the fact that when she was in high school, nobody thought she was cool. 
or maybe she's making up for the fact that when she was in high school, she was so cool and she can't let go of it and become a mom. So you don't necessarily want cool parents. You want parents who love and protect and will actually walk in that role, walk in that position. Uh, And your parents' blessing is of great value. It's of great value. Now, you know, I understand that, you know, there are bad parents, but still their blessing is of great value. Jacob, uh, who later became Israel, Jacob in the Bible over in Genesis. uh, And if you've been here very long and heard me talk about this, uh, you probably know where I'm going with this. Jacob was an unlikely candidate to be God's chosen because he was he was a schemer. He he was uh, he was a supplanter. In fact, that's actually what his what his name meant. Uh, he, uh, he he was willing to steal his brother's birthright. Uh, there's just there was just a lot about him that that was just wrong. You wouldn't want to go into business with Jacob. That's what it boiled down to. But God chose him, and the reason why God chose him is because Jacob could see the value of things that were invisible. He could see the value of a birthright. He could see the value of a blessing from his father. He could see uh, the, the value of, of having God's promises in his life. And what I would ask you, whether you're 6 or 60, Jacob could see the value of that, of, that in, of that blessing from his parents. Can you see it? Can you see it? It's something precious to have. It's something, something valuable to have. And he says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Once again, I mean, the onus is on you. Don't bring your baggage into their lives. And I'll say this to the moms as well, but, but, but the fathers really set the tone. Don't bring your baggage into their lives. Oh, man, that's easier said than done. Yes, it is. Yes, it is easier said than done. Does that mean you don't have to do it? That because something is hard, does that mean that I, I get a pass? Because something is hard, does that mean that, okay, well, I don't, have to, I don't have to actually pay attention to that? Don't bring your baggage into their lives. Your, your issues, if there's something that was handed down from generation to generation to generation, and, you know, well, my daddy was that way, and my, my grandpa was, he had a temper, and he's got a temper, and I've got a temper, or, you know, he was rebellious, and he was rebellious, and I'm if, 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 if that was handed down, or, you know, he was a hard man, and he's a, I'm a hard man, you break the curse. You break the chain. So somebody, somebody's got to, or it only gets worse and worse. Well, you're, you're selected. You're elected. I'm so thankful for my parents. My dad, my dad didn't have a father. I mean, his dad died when he was either three or four. I don't know exactly what time during the year that my dad, uh, my grandfather, uh, Joseph Meek passed away, but he, my dad was, was uh, either three or four. His, his mom never remarried, so he never had a father. He didn't, he didn't have somebody to see that. And my dad wasn't athletic. Uh, I always enjoyed ball and everything. And 
And, and my dad wouldn't, you know, I, I'd go, well, let's, let's, let's go past football, dad. Oh, well, my shoulder, you, you know, kind of thing. And the truth of the matter was, his shoulder probably did hurt, but also the truth of the matter was he couldn't throw the ball born about 20 yards. But uh, he just, you know, he wasn't particularly athletic, and he had a lot of work to do uh, because he was a bivocational pastor, which means he had more than one full-time job. Uh, but he did a good job as a dad. He did a good job as a dad. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand some of those things when I was six, when I was eight, when I was ten. It's going, well, why can't my dad, you know, be like Gary Hicks's dad? Man, you know, he, he, he can teach him how to throw a curveball. Well, my dad can't do that. You know, there, there, were, there were things like that. But as, I, as I've gotten older, I've understand, man, he was good. And the way that my parents treated me uh, wasn't how they were treated. Wasn't how they were treated. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I was a little rebellious uh, during my life, and uh, of course, all that's worked out of me by now. And uh, anyway, I uh, there were times, especially from my late teens to my mid twenties, when my parents had every reason in the world to say, "That's it." You know, when you're ready to change, come see us. Never happened. Never happened. I always knew there was a meal there. I always knew there was help there. I always knew that even if they didn't necessarily approve of some of the things that I was doing, they would be there. They'd be there for me. I mean, uh, let me tell you, uh, a, a southern uh, rural Pentecostal in, in the 60s, uh, going to the theater. I mean, my, uh, we couldn't go bowling. I mean, much less a theater. And and when they were, I, 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 the first time, first movie I ever saw was the Alamo. John Wayne, the Alamo. My, I, I talked talk my dad and taking me to see the Alamo. And I remember, you know, we got our we got our our, our suit coats on and, and wore ties. That's what you did to go to a movie in those days. And we sit down, uh, and uh, you know, they were. <clears throat> running the little things in front of it, not as many as they do today. but running. And I remember sitting by my dad, and I'll never forget him looking over at me going, Ronnie, I ain't never going to do this again. And uh, I went, yes, sir, I understand. John Wayne. Uh, but they came to see plays. I know they could not have been more uncomfortable, but I was there. Wow. Uh, fathers, don't be harsh with your children. Don't bring your baggage into their lives. Break the, break the curse. Break the cycle. Workers, realize who you're working for. Now, the economy was different in Paul's day. So these instructions to slaves is not a, a tacit endorsement of, of slavery. That was just the way the economy worked in those days, and people generally weren't slaves for life. Uh, and today, what he's saying would, would apply to workers. If you're simply working to pay the man or to get ahead, then you're no different from the world. And you're highly likely to end up dissatisfied. If you're simply working to 
to pay off the debts and, and pay the man. And I know you gotta, I know you gotta do that. But you know, if that's if that is the reason, that's the only reason why you're working, then uh, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to not get what you expect you should get. So not only will you be paid in money, you will also be paid in bitterness and anger and resentment. Or you're going to, to get lots of stuff. And most of the time, we end up then with the, with the idea um, that, well, you know what? I worked hard for it, and this is, this is mine, and I don't know what's wrong with them. And that's almost as bad as being in that other position. Both of those things lead to a dissatisfied life. Or you get a taste for the stuff. And you know what? Uh, it, we're not just talking cocaine and heroin here. You know, we're talking cars and houses and lands and property and, and fancy clothes and, 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 uh, and going shoe shopping and stuff like that. And, and, and the more you get, the more you want. And it leaves you with an empty taste in your mouth. If you're working for the Lord, then you're a true person of faith. That is a walk of faith. It's a, it's, it, it, it's a walk of faith to go, to go into a work situation that may be in all that great and go, you know what? This situation may not be that great, but who I'm working for is. My, my boss may not necessarily treat me right, but, but the one I'm working for does. He, 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 he loves me. And, or, you know, if you get, if, if it's on the other side and you're, and, and all the stuff is coming and, and the promotions and all the money and everything, then you're not deceived by it. You're not carried away by it because, hey, it didn't come, came from there. And not only did it come from there, I'm, 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 I'm giving, I'm generous, I'm doing the things that I need to do so it doesn't have a grip on my life. Understand that that you're working for the Lord, and He will reward you. He will reward you. Employers, provide what is right and fair. You are not the bull goose. There is a master who is over you, somebody who's, somebody who's watching you, and it isn't the IRS. It isn't the government. It's the Lord. I've been on both sides of this equation, and I know how valuable good workers are. I mean, wow, they, they really are. But the greed and the sense of entitlement that took root in this country in the 1980s, both in our economy and in the church, is an evil, ungodly curse. And we begin to look at our employees as profit centers rather than as people. Why was Sodom destroyed? Uh, a lot of people would say, well, it was, uh, it was because of immorality. Is that homosexuality and all that stuff going on? That's not what, that's not what the Bible says. Ezekiel says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. That's what it was about. 
And if you're, if you are a, a, a boss, if you're a, a business owner, the employees are not there to make you rich. Now they, you know, they may, but that is not why they were brought into the world. That's not why their mother gave them birth. Go and make that guy rich. They aren't prophet sinners. They are precious souls for whom Christ died, and you've got a responsibility toward them. Uh, we, for a number of years, would do uh, a Christmas carol, and a lot of you are familiar with that story, and you're familiar with the fact that, uh, uh, that, that when Scrooge goes with the ghost of Christmas present to Bob Cratchit's house, and he sees Tiny Tim, and he says, oh, you know, what, what's going to happen to Tiny Tim? Because he, he actually sees a human being now that touches his heart, and the ghost of Christmas present says, I, you know, next year he won't be here anymore. And, and, and Scrooge is going, oh, well, please say that's not so. He says, well, you know, if he be like to die, let him do it and decrease the surplus population. And Scrooge goes, yeah, you're using my own words against me. And, but then I, I, I love what the ghost of Christmas present says. It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and let's fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. It's an often stated theme that that Christians should above all know by heart. Each soul is valuable. Each life is precious and important. With the measure that we use toward others, it will be measured back to us. And the way we treat others is the way we treat Christ. And then there's this group of people called outsiders. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. How? Well, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how to answer everyone. Somewhere along the way, we got the notion that as Christians, we're supposed to be confrontational and combative. Uh, somewhere that that sort of worked its way into our into our culture. How's that working out for you? How many how many people is that bringing to the Lord for you? Hmm? How much peace is that bringing into your life and into the situations that you enter into? The way to answer people, especially outsiders, starts with a conversation that's full of grace. Say, well, Jesus. Jesus had harsh words at times. He did, not for outsiders. And, and this isn't a license to, okay, well, I can't, I gotta be nice to outsiders, but I can go after the insider. No, no, the, the, the harsh words that he had were for those who weren't treating the people inside with grace as well. And right. The, the way to, it goes against our intuition to be graceful to those who disagree with us. Goes against our instinct to respect who they are and, and what they think. And yet, if we, if we, if we come with a combative attitude, that's a pretty good indication that our instincts are wrong. Because the Bible says, full of grace, seasoned with salt. That's how you approach them. That, that's how it starts. Let me, uh, I want to end up with this. You know, the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Uh, 
Love your neighbor as yourself, the famous golden rule. But it has been supplanted. That's, that's not, that is not the rule for Christians. The rule for believers is this. Treat others the way God has treated you. That's, that's what the rule is. We do not please God by basing our life and our actions on what others have done. I won't say that again because I don't know, uh, you know, it got through to Margaret, and I'm glad for that. But I don't know if it got through to everybody else. We do not please God by basing our life and our actions on what somebody else has done. We please God by basing our life and our actions on what he has done, what he continues to do. He's forgiven me. I forgive. He's poured grace into my life. I pour grace into others' lives. He has brought you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. Darkness is that intuition that says, do this. Light is the word of God. It says, this is the way. Walk in it. A light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. Would you stand with me? You know, I think this is a very appropriate sermon for uh, pre-Thanksgiving as we're preparing for our families to come and uh, spend time with that uncle that you're not all that crazy about, or or that or that cousin, or maybe that brother or sister, or that or that parent. Doesn't have to be the same old, same old. It can be something really good. It can be breakthroughs. Those are going to pray with people come forward at this time.